A division of labor. A serious and perhaps unsuspected hindrance to the success of the truth is to be found in our churches themselves. When an effort is made to present our faith to unbelievers, the members of the church too often stand back as if they were not an interested party and let all the burden rest upon the minister. For this reason, the labor of most able ministers has been at times productive of little good. The very best sermons may be preached, the message may be just what the people need, and yet no souls be gained as sheaves to present to Christ. In laboring where there are already some in the faith, the minister should seek first not so much to convert unbelievers as to train the church builders for acceptable cooperation. Let him labor for them individually, endeavoring to arouse them to seek for a deeper experience themselves and to work for others. When they are prepared to sustain the minister by their prayers and labors, greater success will attend his efforts. Nothing lasting can be accomplished for churches in different places unless they are aroused to feel that a responsibility rests upon them. Every member of the body should feel that the salvation of his own soul depends upon his own individual effort. Souls cannot be saved without exertion. The minister cannot save the people. He can be a channel through which God will impart light to his people, but after the light is given, it is left for the people to appropriate that light and in their turn to let it shine forth to others. Testimonies for the Church, Volume 2, page 121. Subheading, Educating Church Helpers. The minister should not feel that it is his duty to do all the talking and all the laboring and all the praying. He should educate helpers in every church. Let different ones take turns in leading the meetings and in giving Bible readings. In so doing, they will be calling into use the talents which God has given them, and at the same time be receiving a training as workers. In some respects, the pastor occupies a position similar to that of the foreman of a gang of laboring men or the captain of a ship's crew. They are expected to see that the men over whom they are set do the work assigned to them correctly and promptly, and only in case of emergency are they to execute in detail. The owner of a large mill once found his superintendent in a wheel pit making some simple repairs while a half a dozen workmen in that line were standing by idly looking on. The proprietor, after learning the facts, so as to be sure that no injustice was done, called the foreman to his office and handed him his discharge with full pay. In surprise, the foreman asked for an explanation. It was given in these words. I employed you to keep six men at work. I found the six idle, and you doing the work of but one. Your work could have been done just as well by any of the six. I cannot afford to pay the wages of seven for you to teach the six how to be idle. This incident may be applicable in some cases and in others not. But many pastors fail in not knowing how or not trying to get the full membership of the church actively engaged in the various departments of church work. If pastors would give more attention to getting and keeping their flock actively engaged at work, they would accomplish more good, have more time for study and religious visiting, and also avoid many causes of friction. Some, through inexperience, will make mistakes, but they should be kindly shown how they can do their work better. Thus the pastor can be educating men and women to bear responsibilities in the good work that are suffering so much for want of laborers. We need men who can take responsibilities, 
and the best way for them to gain the experience they need is to engage with heart and mind in the work. Subheading, Saved by Effort for Another A working church is a growing church. The members find a stimulus and a tonic in helping others. I have read of a man who, journeying on a winter's day through deep drifts of snow, became benumbed by the cold, which was almost imperceptibly freezing his vital powers. He was nearly chilled to death and was about to give up the struggle for life when he heard the moans of a fellow traveler who was also perishing with cold. His sympathy was aroused, and he determined to rescue him. He chafed the ice-cold limbs of the unfortunate man, and after considerable effort raised him to his feet. As the sufferer could not stand, he bore him in sympathizing arms through the very drifts he had thought he could never get through alone. When he had carried his fellow traveler to a place of safety, the truth flashed home to him that in saving his neighbor, he had also saved himself. His earnest efforts to help another had quickened the blood that was freezing in his own veins and sent a healthy warmth to the extremities of his body. The lesson that in helping others we ourselves receive help must be urged upon young believers continually by precept and example that in their Christian experience they may gain the best results. Let the desponding ones, those disposed to think that the way to eternal life is trying and difficult, go to work to help others. Such efforts, united with prayer for divine light, will cause their own hearts to throb with the quickening influence of the grace of God, their own affections to glow with more divine fervor. Their whole Christian life will be more of a reality, more earnest, more prayerful. Let us remember that we are pilgrims and strangers on this earth, seeking a better country, even a heavenly. Those who have united with the Lord in the covenant of service are under bonds to cooperate with Him in the work of soul-saving. Let church members during the week act their part faithfully and on the Sabbath tell their experiences. The meeting will then be as meet in due season, bringing to all present new life and fresh vigor. When God's people see the great need of working as Christ's work for the conversion of sinners, the testimonies borne by them in the Sabbath services will be filled with power. With the joy they will bear witness to the preciousness of the experience they have gained in working for others. Subheading, The Church, a Sacred Trust. When Christ ascended, he left the church and all his interest as a sacred trust to his followers. And the work of the church is not to be left to the minister alone or to a few leading men. Every member should feel that he has entered into a solemn covenant with the Lord to work for the best interest of his cause at all times and under all circumstances. Each should have some part to act some burden to bear. If all church members felt an individual responsibility, greater advancement would be made in spiritual things. The solemn burden of responsibility resting upon them would lead them to seek God often for strength and grace. The real character of the church is measured not by the high profession she makes, not by the names enrolled on her books, but by what she is actually doing for the Master by the number of her persevering, faithful workers. Personal, unselfish effort will accomplish more for the cause of Christ than can be wrought by sermons or creeds. 
Let ministers teach church members that in order to grow in spirituality, they must carry the burden that the Lord has laid upon them, the burden of leading souls into the truth. Those who are not fulfilling their responsibility should be visited, prayed with, labored for. Do not lead people to depend upon you as ministers. Teach them rather that they are to use their talents in giving the truth to those around them. In thus working, they will have the cooperation of heavenly angels and will obtain an experience that will increase their faith and give them a strong hold on God.